want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Now, let's go to Hebrews first. You're going to read two passages. You're going to read, first of all, in Hebrews. Hebrews comes before 1 Peter, so Hebrews chapter 13. So, you can keep one finger in Hebrews 13 and then turn and open in 1 Peter chapter 5. You're going to read both passages. If you can, I want to invite you to stand up. Let's read God's infallible beautiful and powerful word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this task with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So, or therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would, would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You may be seated. Let me ask you, if you had the power, if you had the power to create your ideal pastors, elders, how would they look like? I suppose you had the, the matter, you had the power to create your ideal pastor. Pastors, how would they look like? It's interesting that they, they came up with a survey asking Christians about this question. And here is how the perfect or the ideal pastor would look like. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin, but never steps on anybody's toes. He never embarrasses anyone. He works from 8 in the morning to 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. He makes $400 per week, gives 100 a week to the church, drives the late model car, buys, buys lots of books, wears fine clothes, and has a nice family. He always stands ready to contribute to every other good cause to you and to help panhandlers who drop by the church on their way to somewhere. He keeps going. He's in his early 30s and has been preaching for over 40 years. Yeah. He's tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way and handsome. I'm sorry about that. He has blue eyes or brown to fit the occasion and wears his hair parted in the middle Left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face. <laughs> uh, because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. <laughs> Did they call you? <laughs> He makes 15 calls a day on church members. He spends all his time evangelizing non-members and is always found in his study if he is needed. That's the ideal 
pastor. And, and you know, we can laugh and we laugh. It's funny. But the truth is, it's easy for our hearts and our sinful minds to prone. So we start creating a pastor, not according to the biblical standards, but according to our sinful desires. So, so we have the risk of creating elders and pastors in a church, not to match the biblical standards, but to match what we want. So that's, and that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous because the subject of leadership in a church is crucial. It's vital for a church. A church will not rise above their leaders, and I'm talking spiritually, in holiness. They are the high water mark of a church. Therefore, we must, we must, we ought to examine the leaders of our church against not what we want, but what God wants, what the Lord wants. That's key. And that's what we're going to do. Starting this Sunday, we are going to start looking at the duties and responsibilities of church elders, church leaders. And the temptation was to skip the subject, at least for me. Hey, maybe we can do something else. Let's go straight to the responsibility of church members to church leaders. Now, that's not fair. That would be sinful. So, today and next Lord's Day, you guys have the mirror of the Scriptures to put against the faces of the elders of this church and say, that's all we want or that's all we have. Praise the Lord. We have seen that as we are studying this theology of the church, we saw the nature of the church, what the church is, and that's very important. Because if you don't understand what the church is, we cannot understand what the church is supposed to be doing. So we have all these books, all these talks about what the church should be doing, but very little is taught about the nature of the church, what the church is. And so that's why we spend the first sermons talking about the nature of the church, what the church is. And then we move to our duties, to our responsibilities, building one another up, serving one another, exhorting one another. Last Lord's Day, the, the duty of all the members in, in coming together to listen to the preached word, sing together, pray together, partake of the Lord's ordinances together. And now we come to these more specific duties and responsibilities and privileges of church members and leaders. Here's the outline of this morning's sermon. We're going to walk through points 1 and 2. Next Lord's Day, points 3 and 4. And there's a typo there. So who the leaders of the church are, first of all. Let's define the leaders. And then you're going to define the duties. So who they are defines what they do. Or what the leaders are supposed to do. And then how the leaders are to perform their task. Because God is not only interested in that we perform the task, but He's interested in our hearts. How we are performing the task. What's our motivation? So, as we start moving, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And that's towards the end of the book of Hebrews. The letter of Hebrews is coming to an end. Chapter 13. And after heavy, heavy doctrines of Christ heavy theology about who Jesus is, the author starts to move into the very practical aspects of this theology. So he starts giving a lot of exhortations. And as we come to verse 17, the author starts describing the duties of the leaders of the church to the congregation, the congregation to the church leaders. So he says in verse 17, Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And here's why. 
for they are keeping watch over you or over your souls. But, but look at the, the command there. Obey your leaders. Your leaders. When you go to the New Testament, there is this presupposition that every single Christian is in a local church under a leadership. That's kind of alien today because so many people think they can be whatever they want to be and I'm a Christian and I don't need a church and I don't need leaders over me. But that's just messed up. Because as you walk through the New Testament, through the Scriptures, it's very clear. Christians are in local churches under a leadership. That's why a lot of times I talk to people and they say that they are Christians and they say, what church do you go to? I don't go to any church. I don't need church. And honestly, one of my first questions is, so, so who are your leaders? Who are your leaders? Because it's very clear in the New Testament that you're to submit to your leaders, you're to obey your leaders. Who are they? Well, that was for back then, so now you're wiser than God and, and, and you don't need leaders in your life. So the New Testament makes very clear that Jesus, the great shepherd, has placed leaders in the church. Ephesians chapter 4. And the ascended Christ gave gifts to the church and the gifts, one of the gifts is the leadership of the church. Teaching teachers, pastors in the church. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord promises in the, in the new covenant that one of the blessings of the new covenant would be shepherds after his own heart. So the author of Hebrews simply says, Obey your leaders. But who are these leaders? Who are they? And we have right here, obey your leaders. See, it doesn't say who they are. He's just presupposing that we know. The, the Greek word there is very simple word for leaders. was used for the military leaders whose duty was to rule or give orders to lead the army. And the picture, Hegomai, is of one who is going ahead of the group, guiding, guarding, giving orders. It doesn't say anything else. Just obey your leaders. So then we need to study the New Testament. Who are these leaders? And as you start going through the New Testament, you see that the primary title that these leaders receive in the New Testament is the title of elders. And I know we kind of don't like the word elders because of the Mormons, the abuse of elders, but actually it's a biblical word. And that's the most frequently used word for the title of leaders in the New Testament, the elders. So you have Acts 11, 29 through 30, to the elders, that's the first mention. Acts 14, 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Acts chapter 20, Paul is, Paul is in Ephesus and he calls the elders of the church. Titus 1, talks about elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. In all the churches. And the passage we read, First Peter chapter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So the primary title of church leaders in the New Testament is the title of elders. And there is so much confusion today because you have so many unbiblical titles for the leaders. You have senior pastor. And it's interesting because the only senior pastor is Jesus Christ, according to First Peter chapter 5. And when the chief shepherd, the senior shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. So you have senior pastor, then you have worship pastor. As if was, what is a worship pastor? I thought that all the pastors were the worship leaders. They are leading the congregation to worship. 
They have a worship pastor, they have exe executive pastor, pastor of missions, lay pastor, youth pastor, children's pastors, and the single ministry pastors, and so on. You have all sorts of ministries. So people get confused. What are the titles of leaders in the church? And basically, brothers and sisters, you have the elders and you have the deacons. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. First Timothy chapter 3. That's the leadership of the church in the New Testament. As the apostles start to fade away, the prophets start to fade away, we have elders and deacons. But, and I created this, this table here so you can see how the words are used. Because sometimes we, have, we, we, we get confused. Are they elders? Are they pastors? Are they overseers? What is that? But as you can see, I hope you can see here, it all refers to the same office. So, for example, in Acts chapter 20, Paul calls the elders, the presbyteros of the church, and then he tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer or bishop to care, to shepherd, to pastor the church of God. So, the elder is the overseer and the pastor, the shepherd of the church. First Peter chapter 5, so exhort, exhort the elders, the presbyteros among you, and then he comes. Pastor the flock that's among you, exercising oversight, being a bishop. That's the word bishop, comes from the Greek word episkopos, oversight. First Timothy 3, Paul talks about the office of the overseer, and then he goes on to give the same qualifications that he gives in Titus 1 to the elders. So when you, you, you gather together all this information from the New Testament, the elders are the pastors and they are the overseers of the church. The terms elders, pastors, and overseers are used interchangeably without discrimination expressing the same office. A bishop is an elder and an elder is a bishop who serves as a pastor. As later, especially the Roman Catholic Church, they have the creation of the bishops, they're outside the church, telling other people what to do, and, and then you start spreading all these false ideas of leadership. But when you go through the New Testament, it's very clear that the elders pastor and oversee the church. How about the title elder? The title elder. The English word elder is a translation from presbyteros, from where we get the Presbyterian church. It's a system of government where you have the, the, the leaders, the main leaders, the the elders, the presbyteros. It's interesting because we, we think about elder and we tend to think it's, it has to be an old person. Not necessarily. Yes, the English, uh, I mean the, the Greek word presbyteros could be applied to older people in relation to age, but it also could be applied to leadership without any reference to age. That's very important to understand. One scholar writes, the designation was well known in the Greco-Roman world as applied to leaders in civic as well religious associations. The title elder, another scholar notes, does not imply advanced age, but merely establishes seniority, position of status. So we tend to think, oh, the, the elder has to be an old person. And I have seen people come into this church and, you're a pastor here? I'm older than you. And my reply is, who cares? Honestly. Being old, having white hair, having a white beard doesn't mean that you're wise. I have seen a lot of old people, 
old man, elderly men who are very foolish. And I have seen a lot of young men who fear the Lord, striving for holiness. So that's not the point. The point is spiritual maturity. And you go to the Old Testament, the terminology of elders from the Old Testament comes from the heads of families. Does it imply that they had to be old? No. No. They were the heads of the families. So they were young men. They were called elders. They were heads of the clans, the tribes. And especially once the, you have the Babylonian exile, you remember the Babylonians come and they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, and then you have the system of synagogues being created. Now they have the synagogues. And in the synagogues you have the elders. Those are the leaders there that would be supervising, taking care of the synagogues. And once again, they didn't need to be old. They just had to have spiritual maturity. And it's most surely that the early church is drawing the concept of elders from the Jewish synagogues. When you go to the New Testament, it's very interesting that the New Testament never tells us how the office of elders was established. We, we are not told. We are not told. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts. Let's go to Acts, just so we can briefly walk around the New Testament here, just to see the emerging of this office. So in Acts chapter 11, that's the first mention of elders as leaders in the church, and they're helping other churches. So the disciples determine everyone according to verse 29, sorry, Acts 11, 29 and 30. So the disciples determine everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders. So who is supervising the finances? The elders. By the hand of Barnabas and Saul. That's the first mention. Chapter 14 of Acts. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city in Derb, they had many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconian and to Antioch. He strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And that's very important. Tribulations and establishment of elders. That's something very important in the New Testament. And when they had appointed elders for them, look at the pattern. They had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, chapter 15. Chapter 15 of Acts. And you know that very important council in Jerusalem deciding what the Gentile Christians are supposed to do. And next, chapter 15, verse 20. I believe it's verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Look at that, the three groups. The church, the elders, and the apostles. To choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So you see here that they are already becoming a very important office in the church. Because they are working together with the apostles. The apostles are very unique. So you start creating the elders here. And they are working together with the apostles. And if you are taking notes, you can see... Uh, verse 44, verse 64, and then chapter 16, 44, chapter 20, verse 17, and there are many other passages. Philippians, let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, so all the, the Christians with the overseers and deacons. 
the two groups that form the leadership of the church. You have the church members, the overseers, who are the elders, who are the pastors, and the deacons who serve together with the overseers or the elders. So, once you study all the passages in the New Testament in relation to the office of elders, we, we can come up and summarize as following. The elders form an official and recognized leadership group in the church. Even the Apostle Paul submits to them. The elders work in plurality. Does it mean that if you have just one, you cannot have a church? No. It means that if you have one, you should be striving for more. To work in plurality. Does it mean if you don't have pastors, you don't have a church? No. It means that you should be striving to have pastors in a church if in God's providence you don't have. So they work in plurality. The elders are male. They exercise oversight in all areas of life, doctrinal, financial, uh, spiritual, physical aspects of the life. They are established by the Holy Spirit. They are to shepherd the churches. They must meet biblical qualifications to be appointed. And elders serve. That's key. They serve the church as overseers or bishops and pastors. So just briefly, just to help you, maybe even cause you to study more about this subject. Okay? So just so we have an idea who they are, who the leaders of the church are. Because now that we know there are the elders, there are to oversee, there are the overseers, there are the pastors. Now we can move forward and go to the this important subject, what they are supposed to do, what the leaders do, the duty defined. So key is not what I want my pastors to do, but what does God, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, wants his under shepherds to do. And to do that, let's go to first Peter chapter five. You can open your Bibles there. So now we start looking at the duties of pastors, elders to the congregation. Once again, the context of First Peter, we have been walking through First Peter, is a context of suffering. And in the context of suffering, Peter calls, not for people to forsake the church, but actually to come to church, and he calls the leaders to a new zeal, despite the suffering, despite the persecution, a new zeal to shepherd the flock of God. And it's also interesting because Peter, in chapter 2, verse 9, he described the church as royal priesthood. He said that all the Christians are priests unto God. And that's key because some people go to that passage and say, Do you see, we are all priests. We don't need leaders in the church. Brother, just keep reading the letter, please. Just keep reading. Because that same man who said that we are all royal priesthood is the same man who is telling the leaders of the church to do their job in leading them, shepherding them. So yes, all Christians are in the same level. We are all depraved by nature. We are all going to hell. And God was merciful to save us. We are justified by Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone. So we stand all equally here. But that doesn't nullify order in the church and the existence of leaders in the church. It's very important. And that's what Peter is developing here. So he says, So I exhort, look at verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, Look at how Peter addresses the other elders in the church. He doesn't come to them, Elders, pay attention to me. Here is the first pope of the church. No. You see, he could have used his apostolic authority as Paul does many times. But here, you see his heart. He approaches the elders 
And he says, So I exhort the elders among you as what? A fellow elder. As a co-elder with you. One who has the same yoke over your shoulders. One who shares the same scars. The same burdens as you. Listen to me, brothers. That's Peter's heart to these shepherds here. So he says, Shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Very similar to Acts chapter 20, when Paul is exhorting the elders in Ephesus. Very similar. Very similar. Shepherd. It's a commandment. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. And, and it's here. You see the word shepherd. The English word shepherd derives from the Latin pastor. That's why you have pastors. What is the difference between pastors and, and, and shepherds? None. It's a linguistic one. Pastors is a transliteration coming straight from the Latin and refers to the pastor in Latin. And pastor connects to pasture. The pastor, the pastor, is connected to a pasture. Why? Because his main, main duty is to feed the flock. It's good pasture. Okay, so that's why, and I understand a lot of times the, the teaching elder is called the pastor because he has the primary duty of preaching. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. It's important for us to remember they're all elders, pastors, overseers in the church. And you think about the, the title or the metaphor of a shepherd. The title or metaphor of a shepherd comes from the Old Testament where Yahweh, the Lord, is the great shepherd. David in Psalm 23, the, probably the most known psalm, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And he goes throughout the Old Testament and the Lord is always pictured as the shepherd, as a warrior shepherd, one who fights for his sheep, one who protects his flock, and you go back to Exodus, and you have all the Exodus account, and it's all the image, imagery of God coming as a loving and mighty shepherd to save his sheep from the wolf Pharaoh. And you go throughout the, the Old Testament, all the imagery of God feeding Israel, leading Israel, guarding Israel, and the pillar of, you have the cloud, the pillar of fire, leading, it's all imagery from shepherding. That's why in, in the ancient world, the kings were known as shepherds. They had this duty of protecting, guiding. And here is very important to you is that the great shepherd of Israel, he exercised his leadership over his people through the instrumentality of men. You never have God as the shepherd without a man under him to show what shepherding is like. So, throughout the Old Testament, you have all these leaders, and they're called the shepherds of Israel. And in, in Psalm 77, it's very clear. The psalmist says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, referring to the Exodus, yet your footprints were unseen. And then here, the Lord is a shepherd. You led your people like a flock. How? By invisible hands? No. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. So you get Moses, Joshua, David, all these main leaders, they're called the shepherds of Israel. Why? Because they're under the great shepherd, Yahweh, and they were to model, to be an example of shepherding to the people. But as the time went, as time passed, the shepherds, the leaders of Israel became known for what? As you start reading the prophetic books, they're known for their exploitation of the flock, abusing the flock, not caring for the flock, 
So you start reading the prophetic books and you see many oracles of judgment upon the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. Why? Because they stop exercising their roles of protecting, feeding, leading, guiding. But in all this judgment, it's very interesting. Remember, judgment and salvation are always connected. In all this pronouncement of judgment, there is also pronouncement that a good shepherd would come. A noble shepherd would come. A shepherd from the line of David. So, for example, in Ezekiel 34, that's very interesting because now you start, you can open your Bibles there, but you start noticing that it starts developing this thing that the prophets could not fully understand where the Lord would declare that He Himself would come to shepherd and at the same time, the shepherd would be a man. So you start having this Hard to understand concept. Wait, wait, is that the Lord or is it a man? What's going on here? So, for example, in Ezekiel 34, verses 20 through 24, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. That's the, the pastor here, the shepherd. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set... Look at that. The promise. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and, their, and be their shepherd. So, now, think about John chapter 10. Jesus comes in Jerusalem, and what does He declare? Who is the Good Shepherd? I'm the Good Shepherd! So for all the Jews who know the Old Testament, they're like, are you telling me that you are the fulfillment of all those promises? That you are the Shepherd from the line of David that would come to shepherd us? That's why they think it's blasphemy. But on the other hand, you see Jesus is pronouncing that He is the fulfillment of all those promises that one day one shepherd would guide and feed and take care of the flock of God. So the question is, how? How is Jesus? If Jesus is this shepherd, the fulfillment, how is Jesus exercising His pastoral role? How is Jesus functioning as the good shepherd today? That's very important. How does Jesus shepherd His people today? Think about that. Somebody asks you, Alright, Jesus said that He's the good shepherd, but now He's in heaven. How does He exercise that? How is He your pastor? See, that's why it's key. Remember the Old Testament. The Lord always exercised His pastoral ministry through the instrumentality of man. And the same with the New Covenant under Jesus Christ. Jesus shepherds His church through biblical qualified, church-recognized, and Spirit-called man. That's how Jesus shepherds His church today. He shepherds His church through the instrumentality of biblical qualified, church-recognized, and Spirit-called man. See, a lot of people love the metaphor of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. So you go to a lot of people's homes, and they have the painting, and they have the Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, or I'm the Good Shepherd. They love that. But when you start pressing, and you know that they're not part of a church, and you know that they don't care about being in a church, how is Jesus shepherding you? Because His instrument of shepherding is under shepherds. Men who are biblically qualified, spirit-called. So it's very important. 
it's very important for us to understand these aspects of eldership, being pastors, leaders in the church. To experience Jesus as a shepherd, you must be under man whom Jesus appointed to be his under shepherds. There is no other way. That's why he gave pastors to the church when he ascended. So, going back here to First Peter. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. That's key word. I circled in my Bible. Among you. Why? Because the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep knows their shepherd. They're among each other. They know each other. The sheep hear his voice. They know. So many churches, mega churches, where people have no idea who the pastors are. And the pastors have no idea who the people are. And why? Who, who is shepherding? Small group leaders? Completely unqualified, disqualified people to do that ministry? That's mind-blowing. It is. If you start thinking, and I think that's very important for us, you think through these things. The pastors must know their sheep. The pastors. The pastors. The elders. Not small group leaders who have not been qualified, biblically speaking, called by the Spirit and recognized by the church to be shepherds. Among you. And that also tells me that I am not responsible for people outside this church. I'm not their shepherds. I'm not going to give an account of them. They're not among us in a local church. So, we have this beautiful, rich metaphor of to shepherd the flock of God. Very profound, to shepherd. I would say that includes three things. Guiding and leading, guarding and feeding. So, very quickly, shepherds, the elders, they shepherd the flock of God by guiding, leading the church. Psalm 23, very clear. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. That's what pastors do. He leads me beside the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me into paths of righteousness. The same, the same with Psalm 77. You led your people like a flock by the hand. That's why they're called leaders. They're going ahead, leading the people. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Obey your leaders because they are over you. They are going ahead of you. They are called to go ahead of the church, to guide them to the place that the Lord wants them to be. The pastors have the duty of going ahead, leading the congregation to the conformity of Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Pastors, must they are the leaders. They go ahead. I came across this observation for, from Herschel York. Herschel L. York, he says, on one of my trips to Israel, I once saw a man behind a flock of sheep drive them down the road by holding out two long sticks, one on either side, in an attempt to force them to stay together in front of him. Puzzled that I had never seen a shepherd lead his sheep like that, I asked my guide, Zvi, why is that shepherd driving his sheep that way? I have never seen that before. Oh, Zvi answered, that's not a shepherd. That's a butcher. He has bought those sheep and now he has to drive them to the slaughterhouse. They won't follow him because they don't know him. He cannot lead them. So he has to drive them. The leaders lead. They go ahead of the congregation. And how do they lead? They lead by teaching, preaching the Word of God 
I have here, and by example. Not just teaching, otherwise you have hypocrisy. And not just being an example. Example of what? Mormons live very good lives and they're going to hell. There are a lot of people who have a lot of ethics and they're going to hell. So you've got you to have the two. The preaching, the teaching of the gospel and the living. That's crucial. That's how pastors must lead. And that's what Paul over and over keeps emphasizing. Look at First Timothy chapter 4. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Teaching, preaching, and living exemplary lives. That's what you need to demand. That's what you need to expect from the leaders of your church. That's why when you go to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 and you read the qualifications for church leaders, what is all that about? What is it dealing with? The character of the person. There is nothing, nothing about can you have ability in, in finances, can you have ability in business, nothing. The only ability he needs to have is to teach and preach. Why? Because he needs to teach and live. That's why elders, pastors, they must be an example to the church. You must look at their lives and see their teaching. The teaching is sound. The preaching is sound. And it is mirrored by their lives. That's why if you aspire to be an elder, and I pray that the Lord would stir the hearts of some men to be, to aspire that, not all, but some men to be elders. And you'd be thinking about these things. Is there anything that's mastering me? Do I have anything that masters me? Any addiction? Food? Drinking? Whatever addiction it is that's mastering me, that I cannot be above reproach and set an example to the congregation. So I ask you, I ask you, have we, the elders of this church, been shepherding this church by leading the flock through faithful teaching, rebuking, exhortation, and example? Have we been placing before you lives that they are immersed with sound teaching and at the same time we can see that we are striving as hard as we can with all our weakness to live those teachings. Do you trust the elders of this church to lead you and your family? That's key. You have to be in a church where you trust the leaders. Can you imagine? That's your spiritual life. You're either going to hell for eternity or going to heaven with the Lord. It's your spiritual life. So you need to trust the leadership of this church. And maybe you're going to move, you're going somewhere else. Make sure that you pick a church, that you choose a church because of the sound teaching and the living, the living of their leaders. That's key. The metaphor of shepherding, when you think about shepherding leading, a lot of times we have this cuddly, uh, warm, idyllic, idea of shepherding. You have this little kid with a big smile and a fluffy white sheep. Actually, it's very dirty business to shepherd, especially in Palestine. It's hard work. It's hard work to shepherd, to be faithful shepherds. It's hard labor. Many times the sheep is stubborn, inflexible, and that's why one of the aspects of the leadership is the staff. The staff to help those sheep You're leading them. You're helping them. 
the dictionary of biblical imagery writes, the rod and the staff can also be images of comfort, protection, and security. This is preeminently true of the shepherd's rod and staff. One of these was a familiar crook used for dis disciplining a wandering sheep, encircling a sheep's neck or belly to rescue it from a goalie and laying across the backs of the sheep for the purpose of counting as they entered the sheepfold. A lot of times, leading, shepherding, requires this, uh, I would say, this uh, strength and force under the power of the Holy Spirit. Biblical force. Where Paul, some, many times Paul says, do I need to come with the rod? Have you seen Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, Paul tells, do I need to come with the rod? Why? As a shepherd, he's saying, do I need to come with a rod to, to discipline you? Because that's what pastors need to do sometimes. So that's aspects of leading, leading people. And you always hear people say, I, I had a horrible experience with leaders. They're abusive. I, I'm not denying that they're abusive leadership. People abuse every good thing. People abuse food, they abuse sex, they abuse wine. Abuse everything. God never, God never, never, never replaces abusive leadership with anarchy or weak leadership. Okay? So, we've got to be very careful because a lot of times we want to bring our experience. I had a horrible experience. They were abusive. And I know, I know that there are. But that's no excuse to say, I'm not a part of a church anymore. I'm not sub submitting myself to leaders anymore. No. So, they lead leaders. Also, the elder shepherd the flock by guarding them. They guard the flock. And I think a beautiful illustration is in Second Samuel 17. Second Samuel 17. Look at David's word. But David said to Saul, remember, he's getting ready to fight Goliath. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father as a shepherd. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's what shepherds did. I'm facing this lion and there are two options here. Either I will put this lion to death and rescue the sheep, or the sheep will be safe and I'll be dead. That's the shepherd's heart and mind, this protection of his flock. Look at Paul's words to the elders, to the shepherds in Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care, to shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. And now he gives his own example as a pastor. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to exhort everyone with tears, with tears. He's protecting them with tears. His heart is there to protect the, the flock of God. That's what shepherds need to do. That's what elders need to do. Pastors, they're hard to protect, to guard the flock of God. Protect from what? Why are you to protect them from what? As you go to the New Testament, primarily false teachers and false teaching. So, we are keeping watch. That's why they need to be biblically sound men. They need to be men of doctrine. They need to know. They need to smell false teaching and know. 
hey, get out of there. So shepherds are to protect the flock from false teachers, false teaching. The songs we sing in church, we're not singing heresy. The books we recommend, the books that people are reading in the church, the conversations in the church. That's what shepherds do. Protect from unrepentant people. Whoa, 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 wait a second, what is that? Simple. An unrepentant person is a sick person. That's why Paul says, expel the immoral from the church. Why? Because he's going to contaminate everything. So if you have a sheep that's sick and, her, and the sheep's sickness is infectious, you infect the other sheep, you need to remove that from the flock. We need to guard. That's why you have church discipline. Excommunicating people to protect the flock. Protect from these divisive people. People who come to divide the church. That's what shepherds do. They're attentive. They're listening. And let me tell you, many times the flock, the local church, does not see the threat until later. Many times when the elders bring a hard subject, something that's really hard to deal with, you see people crying, all frustrated. Why are we doing that? Why? Why are we dealing with that? And then later it's like, wow, I'm so glad we did that for the health of the church. Why? Because they're supervising. They're seeing ahead of the game. They're going ahead. They know what's going on. Let me remind you that divisive people and false teachers, they don't come to church with big signs. I'm here to divide you guys. I'm here to lead you astray with false teaching. They don't come like that. They come actually very charismatically and influencing people and everyone likes them. And then the elders, the pastors call that person apart, aside. Everybody, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Why? Because the shepherds know. They know what's going on. So they need to... Protect. And why we are protecting? Because we want to be in control of everything? No, it's because of love. It's out of love. Look at Jesus' words. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. We strive to protect this church. Why? Because we love Christ and we love you. We love you. For Titus 1.9, we are to guard the church by rebuking those who contradict sound teaching. I ask you, the church members here, do you feel protected in this church? Have we shown ourselves to guard you? It's important to think about. That's the standard of, of faithful shepherding. It's not the size of the congregation. It's not all the programs that we have, the amount of money that we have in the bank account. Here's a true standard for shepherding. Have we been guarding you? That's key. And lastly, the last point, elders shepherd the flock by feeding them. Feeding them. Healthy food. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And then you have all this language of sustenance, abundance. Makes me like down great pastures. He leads me beside two waters. He restores my soul. Meaning what? They are fed. They're healthy. Key passage. What are the shepherds feeding the sheep? Entertainment. So you come to church to be entertained? Is that what you're supposed to be feeding you with? You come here and you watch a cool movie? We need to think, well, what are the shepherds supposed to feed the sheep? Because a lot of church, they're feeding, they're actually entertaining goats. Right? That's what Spurgeon said. The time is coming where pastors will not feed the sheep, but actually they're going to be entertaining goats. Look at the promise of the Lord with the new covenant. Jeremiah 3.15 And I will give you shepherds after my own heart 
who will feed you with knowledge and understanding of what? His Scriptures. His Word. Mark chapter 6, we saw that before. Mark 6, 34, Jesus is moving. Remember the, the miracle of the multiplication, creation of bread and fish. And He comes ashore and He sees a great crowd. And He had compassion. The word there is for like His stomach hurting. He has compassion on them because they were like, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did He do? Start entertaining them, jiggling bottles and, hey, let's laugh and have fun. No. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And the text is very clear. And He starts to teach them. To teach them. That's why elders must be doctrinal men, not business men. The only skill required for elders is to be able to teach sound teaching. Look at Titus 1.9, referring to elders. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And also, here is very important, another aspect of eldership, because we live in a day that nobody can be rebuked. Okay? The only people being rebuked are those who rebuke. And also rebuke those who contradict the sound teaching. That's the only skill or ability required for church leaders. Why? Because they need to feed the flock with sound doctrine. And say, so all elders must be are equally gifted with teaching? No. All elders must be able to teach. And as you go through the New Testament, even the Old Testament, you see that some leaders are have a special gift with teaching. That's what Paul says in First Timothy five seventeen about the teaching elder. The one who has a gift to teach. But all must be able to teach. Maybe in counseling sections, maybe one-on-one, uh, Bible studies. They need to be able to hold the sound teaching, rebuke with that sound teaching, encourage, comfort. So, very important. What are the elders supposed to feed you? And I will give them shepherds after my own heart, and they will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's what the Lord wants us to feed you. That's why sometimes you hear people getting tired. Why so much doctrine? Why so much theology? Why this preaching so long? Why so heavy? Why so much teaching in Bible? Wednesday, why don't we have something more fun? Why another Bible study? Why on Saturdays are the women studying the Bible and not getting together for kneading or learning some? Why studying the Scriptures? Here is the key. There is no problem with doing these things. But as pastors here, we believe it's our duty to give you heavy, healthy portions of solid doctrine. So you can grow in your understanding. So the integrity of an elder is to be examined and judged, not by the size of the church, by his bank account, the programs, but his faithfulness to what? Feeding the flock of God with his words. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see people who are in churches and they come to me and they say, I'm not being fed. There's no food. There's no food in the church. It's heartbreaking. Why? Because the pastors are not doing their duty. They're not performing their task of feeding the sheep with solid, healthy blocks of sound teaching. So I ask you, have the elders, the pastors of this church been leading you, guarding you, and feeding you? It's very important. And here I finish. Here's the words of a commentator. The task of shepherding 
can involve not simply the personal inconvenience of putting the sheep before his own comfort. Are you ready? Those who aspire to be elders, are you ready for this? Putting the sheep above your own comfort, but hardship and danger, even at the risk of his own life. It's a serious job. It's a serious task. It's a serious calling to shepherd the people of God. And people take it lightly. People take lightly what should not be taken lightly. It's very serious. Why is it serious? Peter tells us. Look at the shepherd, the flock of God. Why is it serious? Because you belong to God. He shed his own blood. Acts chapter 20. He shed his own blood for his people. Here's why shepherding, being an elder in a church, is such a, a weighty, heavy task. Because you're caring for the people whom Jesus cares the most. That's mind-boggling. To think that, wow, Jesus came to die for his people, and now I have the duty of taking care of these people for whom the God of the universe became a man and died for. That's serious. That's very serious. It's sobering. The seriousness of the work is connected to the status of the sheep. It's so serious because the sheep belongs to Christ. That's why it's so serious. You see, you are precious because you belong to Christ. That's why you are so precious. Because He bought you. He died for you. And that's why this task is so serious, so sobering. Jesus paid an inestimable, inestimable, incalculable price for you. And that's why the task is so weighty and important. Look at what Paul says. The same, First Timothy 3, 1, the same is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, to be an elder, to be an pastor, to be a pastor, he desires a noble or the noble task. Noble implying beautiful, good. Why? Because of the pay? <laughs> Brian, because of the pay that you get here? Because of the status that we have? It's noble task because of the people whom you're taking care of, because they are noble in Jesus' sight. That's why it's so noble. See, a lot of people think that nobility, to be noble, is to make money, buy houses, save money. Nobility is in watching over the people for whom Christ died. That's why shepherd the flock of God. They belong to God. It's His treasured possession. That's why it's so sobering, weighty. The people of God that we are dealing with. You belong to God. Every morning, every night, every day, you are in my heart, in my mind. I'm thinking about you, praying for you, checking to see how you're doing. Why? Because you belong to Christ. So, sometimes I hear man saying, I used to be a pastor. Now I'm doing this and that. As if now he moved on with his life to greater things. Shame on you. Sometimes you see people I used to be a pastor. Now I'm a professor in a seminary. As if he moved on to greater things. Is there anything greater than taking care of the people for whom Christ died? That's how precious you are. He loves you so much that He died for you and He placed you under the care of people who care about you. That's the Gospel. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. Always true. Always true piercing our hearts, always comforting our souls. Lord, help us. Help us as a church. Help the elders of this church. Lord, how we need to grow into the likeness of our 
great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And Lord, and I pray that this church, the members of this church, would be praying for the elders, demanding from us what you demand from us, Lord. So I pray that you would help us. Help us. Thank you for calling men into this position. And I pray that you would raise more men, few, but who love you and love your people. So we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for letting us sing to you. Thank you for letting us pray together. Thank you for letting us study the Scriptures together. Bless our fellowship. I pray for your blessing upon this week. In Jesus' name, the Great Shepherd, we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you.